Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. Look what you did to my store. This is a movement, I'm telling you. They're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Into the Fray. We had a victory this week. The Lincoln Project retracted their enemies list. I'm sure it's not the only one, and I'm sure they're still keeping the list, but public outrage was so intense that they pulled at least the public copy. The left may just find that they've poked the sleeping bear, and they're not ready for what that means. Now, to get started today, I want to take you back about a month. Keith Olbermann went unhinged on a rant about Trump supporters and the fate they should meet. This is the tame version of what the Twitter crowd is calling for. Trump can be and must be expunged. The hate he has triggered, the Pandora's box he has opened, they will not be so easily destroyed. So, let us brace ourselves. The task is twofold. The terrorist Trump must be defeated, must be destroyed, must be devoured at the ballot box. And then he and his enablers and his supporters and his collaborators and the Mike Lees and the William Barrs and the Sean Hannity's and the Mike Pence's and the Rudy Giuliani's and the Kyle Rittenhouse's and the Amy Coney Barrett's must be prosecuted and convicted and removed from our society while we try to rebuild it and to rebuild the world Trump has nearly destroyed by turning it over to a virus. Remember it, even as we dream of a return to reality and safety and the country for which our forefathers died, that the fight is not just to win an election, but to win it by enough to chase, at least for a moment, Trump and the maggots off the stage and then try to clean up what they left. Remember it, even though to remember it, means remembering that the fight does not end November 3rd, but in many ways will only begin that day. So there's that. Let's break that down. That's a lot of derision for such a short clip. Trump can be and must be expunged. Expunge? What does it mean to expunge? Merriam-Webster's dictionary says to strike out, obliterate, or mark for deletion, to efface completely, destroy. The hate he has triggered, the Pandora's box he has opened, they will not be so easily destroyed. So, let us brace ourselves. The task is twofold. The terrorist Trump must be defeated, must be destroyed, must be devoured at the ballot box. And then he and his enablers and his supporters and his collaborators and the Mike Lees and the William Barrs and the Sean Hannity's and the Mike Pence's and the Rudy Giuliani's and the Kyle Rittenhouse's and the Amy Coney Barrett's must be prosecuted and convicted and removed from our society while we try to rebuild it. Can you hear the vitriol in his voice? And... Trump supporters should be prosecuted for what? For being Trump supporters? For disagreeing with you? Is that a road we really want to go down? Find me the legal statute under which we should prosecute Mike Lee or Justice Barrett. What laws have they broken? Olbermann wasn't calling for justice. He was calling for persecution and revenge. They're calling for political courts. Aristotle was executed for offending the gods. His real crime was offending the political elites. 
but that wasn't actually illegal. So they fabricated an accusation, enabling their revenge. Christ was a threat to the religious and political power of the Sanhedrin, which also wasn't illegal. What was it, Pilate said? I find no fault in this man. The courts could only find false witnesses against him, and their testimonies conflicted. He was not tried for breaking the law. His was also a political trial. Solzhenitsyn was sentenced, like so many others behind the Iron Curtain, simply for being perceived as a possible threat to the party. The left wants power, and there are only two ways to get power. Take it, or have it given to you. They're angry because in 2016 they were so close to having power just given to them, and then good people got in their way. This time around, they're trying to take it. The world they're trying to rebuild is their socialist revolution, which they nearly accomplished from inside the government. They're furious because Trump and his supporters blocked and rejected their power grab. It was so close, they could taste victory. And then Trump, his American supporters, and the constitutional process snatched it away. And to rebuild the world Trump has nearly destroyed by turning it over to a virus. Trump turned our world over to a virus? How? Take me through your line of reasoning on that, Olbermann. Did Trump create the virus? No. Okay. Did he release the virus? Again, no. Did he botch the virus response? No. We went over this last week. Health crisis response is in the hands of the state governments. That's part of the separation of powers. Did he actively impede the states in their attempts to manage the virus? No. He gave them everything they asked for as quickly as it could be acquired or produced. Was the virus response mismanaged? In most places, I believe it absolutely was. But it was mismanaged by the state governments. If you borrow a cup of sugar from your neighbor and then misproportion the flour, salt, and eggs. You can't blame your neighbor when the cake fails. Remember it. Even as we dream of a return to reality and safety and the country for which our forefathers died. So, our forefathers died so that those pushing a socialist utopia, who are calling for the prosecution of political dissidents, could what? Have a clear field to overturn their life's work? When our forefathers stormed the beaches at Normandy, were they fighting for or against authoritarianism? When our forefathers fought at Gettysburg in Antietam, were they fighting for or against taking the fruits of man's labor against his will? When they fought at Lexington Bridge, Bunker Hill, and Dorchester Heights, were they fighting for or against despotism? Our founding fathers spent their lives creating a system of government that restrained exactly the kinds of abuses he's calling for. Who do we invoke when we speak of freedom? Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Franklin, Lincoln— Men who wore out their lives advocating and fighting for universal liberty. Who are the pillars of the left? Marx, Sanger, Alinsky, Guevara, Lenin. These are the ideologues of central control, violent agitation, and the expunging of anyone who stands in your way, including your own children. That the fight is not just to win an election, but to win it by enough to chase, at least for a moment, Trump and the maggots off the stage and then try to clean up what they left. Let me translate what I believe he's really saying there. The fight is not just to win an election, but to win it by enough to ensure we hold absolute, unchallenged power, and then try to rebuild our socialist takeover. The saddest part is I think they actually believe it'll work. The utopia can work. Remember it, even though to remember it, means remembering that the fight does not end November 3rd, but in many ways will only begin that day. Dun, dun, dun. What happened the moment the left believed they'd gain power? AOC tweeted out, Is anyone archiving these Trump sycophants for when they try to downplay or deny their complicity in the future? I foresee decent probability of many deleted tweets, writings, photos, 
in the future. To which Michael Simpson replied, Yes, we are. The Trump Accountability Project. Every administration staffer, campaign staffer, bundler, lawyer who represented them, everyone. Cancel culture isn't just about taking people off platform. It's not just about silencing them. It's about silencing them, taking away their ability to earn a living and support their families, and cutting them out of society. It's about utterly crushing them. If you know that speaking up means you will lose your ability to feed your family, to put a roof over their heads, and you know that you will have no voice with which to protest, will you stand? This is what they're building to. It never goes full scale all at once. That would produce too much resistance. They start with people that either no one cares about, or they can excuse themselves for targeting. Then they move on a little at a time. There's a really famous quote from Martin Niemöller, who lived through the Nazi purges. He famously said, First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out, because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out, because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out, because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. The Nazis had different targets, but the strategy remains. Divide, isolate, expunge. The thirst for power allows for no obstacles and no limitations. It's like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you get, until it consumes and destroys you. I was listening to Glenn Beck the other day as he was talking with Dave Rubin, and he said that he could never understand how the German Jews didn't flee in 1934. How did they stay through what was so obviously coming? The signs were all there. The Nazis were open about their intentions. But it's only obvious in hindsight. He said it was only recently that he came to understand their lack of action as he, himself, looked at what the left is calling for today and thought, no, they'll never actually do that. Then he had that epiphany moment. Oh, that's how. Take a look at this article from Leo Terrell, an American civil rights attorney. The effort began with a tweet identifying two attorneys by name, including their pictures and phone numbers, with the caption, Make Them Famous. Shortly after, failed GOP strategist and leader of the anti-Republican PAC, Rick Wilson, told the Washington Post that this was just the beginning. He said that the group would be going after the law firm Jones Day, using TV ads and a social media campaign to target clients of the firm in an effort to harm their business all because the firm was hired to assist the Trump campaign's legal battles. I'd like to know how General Motors justifies working with a company that's aggressively seeking to undermine the validity of a free and fair democratic election, Wilson said. That is a targeted assault on due process. They've done this before. They don't go directly for their target. They go after their target's clients. They go after the people they're connected to. They cut them off from society. When they target someone's work, friends, social media community, most of these people will abandon them to save themselves. The goal is to separate them to the point where they have no support. And then, when they're friendless, helpless, and isolated, they're no threat and can be disposed of. The antidote to this is sticking together, standing for what's right, and standing with others who stand for what's right. The left has already overrun Silicon Valley. You can be deplatformed and cut off from friends, distant relatives, and work associates with the click of a Silicon Valley mouse. Airbnb canceled reservations for suspected white supremacists and hate group members. In other words, people reserving lodging for the D.C. Trump rally this weekend. Do you see how that works? There's always an excuse. Always a valid reason. What they really do is target you, label you, and then use that label as an excuse to cut you off from goods and services and out of functional society. The stated purpose of the Lincoln Project list was to cut off those on the list from all services. Employment, cell service, hotels, banking. Just as they've done with advertisers on conservative shows they don't like, 
They pressure businesses into refusing service to people they've targeted. It's even built into our government institutions, and has been for a while. In chess, you don't charge your opponent. You position your pieces carefully and subtly, until you corner your opponent and leave them with no options. Then you strike. The Federalist covered financial institutions specifically over a year ago, citing an Obama program initiated in 2012. You work hard, you save what money you can, get a loan for the rest, and take a chance on starting your own business. It's the American dream, right? But what if political or social pressure causes the bank you trusted with your business to cut you off? That's what happened to many American entrepreneurs thanks to the Obama administration's Operation Chokepoint. Launched in 2012, Operation Chokepoint's stated purpose, according to government documents, was to attack internet, telemarketing, mail, and other mass market fraud against consumers by choking fraudsters' access to the banking system. Citing this initiative, regulators encouraged banks to avoid a broad list of high-risk industries, with bureaucrats abusing the opportunity to target otherwise legal industries not engaging in mass fraud, but nevertheless disfavored by the administration, such as short-term lenders, gun manufacturers and dealers, and tobacco sellers. The key insight of Operation Chokepoint, and the reason for its name, was that industries deemed undesirable could be choked out of existence by losing ordinary banking services. Indeed, the implicit threat of a federal investigation based on reputational risk allowed bureaucrats to trigger panic among banks regarding certain industries simply by listing them on a memo. Many of the pieces are already in place. Now that they believe they've gained power, they're working their way down the chain. First, they came for the lawyers, but I wasn't a lawyer. Then they came for the pundits, but I wasn't a pundit. It's so easy to delude ourselves that they'll, they'll never really do it. I never understood, and you're Jewish, I've yeah. never understood the German Jew in 1934, year yeah. before the Nuremberg laws are passed. They're telling you what they're going to do. They're, they're making lists. They're calling you names, calling you vermin. You have no place here. And, you know, the leadership is telling you what's coming. I've never understood until recently. What are they thinking? Why didn't they get out? I've never understood it until now because I'm looking at people in power and they're saying blacklists. You won't be able to work. Uh, you won't be able to bank if you believe certain yep. things. Uh, you know, you're a non-person in this this new utopia unless you agree with them and the thing is i keep thinking yeah but that's never going to happen that's never going to happen that's what the german jews that, were thinking yes, that's what everyone that ultimately pays the price in a totalitarian society thinks the constitution was written with hard stops much of our system is majority rule tempered by checks and balances to ensure that 51 percent can't enslave the other 49 but there are some hard limits some things the government is simply not permitted to touch. Power ends where our natural rights begin. We have to respect one another's rights, even when we disagree with them, even when we're afraid of them. You don't have to trust your neighbors, but you do have to respect their rights. This is one part of freedom that cannot be avoided. To infringe on your neighbor's rights is to exercise power over them, power that was not granted by the consent of the governed. Our rights are the ones we were born with, the ones we were given by God. We have a right to life, and the means to defend that right, to liberty, which is really the right to chart our own destiny, and the means to defend that right as well, to property, or in other words, to the fruits of our labor, and again, the means to defend that right, to the pursuit of what makes us happy. Notice that the Declaration of Independence does not enshrine a right to happiness, 
It enshrines the right to the pursuit of happiness. Following through on that pursuit is our own responsibility. They enshrine the freedom to exercise our religion. Let me quote the First Amendment on this one, because I want to leave no doubt of its meaning. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, meaning that there cannot be a state religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This is the very first point protected by the Bill of Rights. And since the first ten amendments were written to protect those rights most likely to lead to tyranny, if violated, clearly they considered religion of paramount importance. Notice that it not only protects religion, it specifically protects the free exercise of religion. What is the left doing right now with the lockdowns? Newsom is going after churches in general. Cuomo and de Blasio are targeting the Jews. They have reasons. There were always going to be reasons. The left isn't stupid enough to think they could just go shut down and regulate religion without a compelling excuse. Thing is, the Bill of Rights was written as a hard stop. No matter what happens, no matter the crisis, these are points that cannot be touched. This was even confirmed by the Supreme Court in Schechter v. United States. Chief Justice Hughes wrote, Extraordinary conditions do not create or enlarge constitutional power. The framers enshrined the right to free speech and freedom of the press, or in other words, freedom to disseminate information. The government does not have the authority to prevent us from communicating information or our ideas and opinions, and they don't have the authority to punish us for communication. The left is pushing to shut down any and all dissenting speech. Communism can only survive in a vacuum. The antithesis to centralized control and the failings of socialism is the free exchange of ideas and information. The Spartan commune ended when information about the outside world breached its borders. There's a reason China has built the Great Firewall. There's a reason North Korea has self-isolated. The Iron Curtain was not meant to keep the West from learning about the East. It was to keep their own people from learning about the outside world. Within such a society, the exchange of ideas that threaten Marxism cannot be tolerated. Sparks of freedom must be stamped out before they ignite the abundant tinder around them. Socialism and communism are a scheme to enslave mass populations and are under constant fear of revolt. As with any authoritarian system, they must immediately terminate any threat to their power. The greatest danger to their position is widespread knowledge that there are alternatives. We have the right to peaceably assemble. Mind you, peaceably. Can you hear me, Black Lives Matter? Peaceably. Preventing individuals from banding together to share ideas, organize, and act has been one of the primary tools of authoritarian governments to suppress dissent and protect their tenuous position. The lockdowns are, according to the First Amendment, unconstitutional. These business closures, church closures, church attendance limitations, ordered by the government, are unconstitutional. They are illegal. There was always going to be a reason. So long as they lack total control, they must have an excuse. Remember, extraordinary conditions do not create, or enlarge, constitutional power. Consider, though, this is a big step on the way to total control, and once they have it, they will no longer need the excuses. If you doubt me, just a few minutes with Solzhenitsyn will cure you of that. In the Gulag Archipelago, he recounted an exchange that occurred shortly after the sentencing of a woman in the Soviet Union. She was asked what her crime had been, for which she was sentenced to 25 years, and she replied, nothing at all. The man responded, nonsense. The punishment for nothing at all is 10 years. We also have the right to petition the government for the redress of grievances, meaning they cannot abuse us and then just simply ignore us. When we are wronged, as individuals, groups, or the people as a whole, we have a right to subject the government to due process. They cannot simply wave us away, or at least if the law is enforced, they cannot. 
There's a great deal of our freedom that hangs on our commitment to the principles of the Constitution. The first constitutional defense against abuse is the separation and balance of limited, enumerated powers. The second defense is public sentiment and elections, which are inexorably intertwined. Freedom of speech and the press, the right to peaceably assemble, and the right to redress of grievances are all part of this mechanism of defense. No one in government is meant to have more than a drop of power, and, if they abuse even that drop, they risk removal at the next election. The third and final defense against abuse, the final of last resorts, is the threat of force. No individual, faction, or cabal who knows they lack the physical might to overpower the people will risk testing the people's patience to that extent. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, invinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and provide new guards for their future security. This is the very purpose for which the Second Amendment was written. First, that the mere presence, the capability of the people to forcibly throw off their chains, would serve as an effective deterrent to despotism. Second, if all other measures placed to safeguard liberty were trampled, and if the deterrent failed, its execution would preserve the liberty of the people and allow them to start the experiment of self-government anew. The Second Amendment is possibly the most targeted of them all, and there is a very simple explanation for this. It is the most effective obstacle to the left's plans for authoritarianism. Thomas Jefferson said, When government fears the people, there is liberty. When the people fear the government, there is tyranny. The Constitution was written to give us the means by which to change our governors peaceably, through elections rather than through violence. But they also knew that those measures would only be effective if backed by the threat of force. After endless, fruitless petitioning, after every alternative measure had been exhausted, it was the force of arms that secured American liberty the first time, and the Founders took steps to ensure that if those conditions ever returned, that last resort would remain. There's no right to life without the means to defend it, nor liberty, nor property. If a right can be violated without impediment, then it ceases to be meaningful. If a robber, a rapist, or a murderer knows that they can simply walk into your home and take what they want, knowing they will meet no effective opposition, you are subject to them. If a kidnapper knows they can simply walk up to you in a public parking lot and take you, your right to liberty is void, and you are subject to them. In fact, lacking the necessary tools and the right to employ them, you're subject to anyone with the means and disposition to cause you harm. If a government knows that they can simply violate the rights of the people and will not meet any effective opposition, the lessons of history are clear. They will do and take whatever they want. To establish authoritarianism, tyranny must first disarm their opposition and arm their supporters. In 1926, the author bylined as C.S. Wheatley penned the following, Firearms stand next in importance to the Constitution itself. They are the American people's liberty teeth and keystone under independence. Once again, the violation of this right is not without its excuses. 
They always have valid reasons, even moral imperatives supporting their overreach and abuse of power. The left will call upon the variety of heinous crimes committed using firearms, many of which are the result of the very violations they perpetrate. An armed criminal does not fear a disarmed citizen and is emboldened in his crime. There's a reason the constitutional limitations are hard stops. Regardless of circumstances, even crises, extraordinary conditions do not create or enlarge constitutional power. The left is trying, desperately now that they're so close, to transition us to authoritarianism. Through deceptions and usurpations they have taken or convinced us to give up most of the constitutional protections to our liberty. In 2016, they thought they had it in the bag. The last four years have shown us that we can still turn this around. Look at how much things have improved in just four years. This wasn't Trump or even Trumpism. This was Americans and Americanism. Just like Washington, Lincoln, and Reagan before him, Trump hasn't shaped us so much as reflected us. Senators are a reflection of their state. Representatives are a reflection of their district. Who we are adds up to who they are. We turn this around by turning ourselves around and by actively engaging in the constitutional system in which the safeguards only work if we're committed to them and actively engaged in them. Every level of government works the same way. If there are government abuses in your school district, get more people involved in school board affairs. If there are problems with your city government, get more people attending city council meetings and engaging in the process of local change. If your state or congressional representatives are failing or misrepresenting you, get the numbers and attend their functions, or demand their attention with peaceful but resolute displeasure. This is a lesson the left learned long ago. They know how to get involved. They know how to make changes. They have been learning and perfecting their craft while the rest of us have comfortably slumbered. You're probably familiar with the quote from the end of the movie Tora Tora Tora, when the Japanese admiral says, I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. The Apostle Paul wrote, If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. The real question becomes, what must we do so that God is for us? That, thankfully, he has been unmistakably clear on. Keep his commandments. What does God really want for us? Why did he give us commandments in the first place? He wants us to learn to make choices of our own free will that lead to happiness. God's commandments aren't a list of rules you have to obey or God will be mad at you. That's not their purpose. The commandments are instructions that teach us how to live in a way, how to make choices that lead to happiness. Liberty is essential to that end. Under any conditions, under any circumstances, we can choose to keep God's commandments. However, only under freedom can that knowledge be openly shared. Only under freedom can we openly live our faith. Ever notice that eventually every communist nation bans religion? It's happening in China as we speak. The commandments of God stand in direct opposition to authoritarianism. God wants us to be free to choose to live as he instructs. As Jefferson wrote, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Government is instituted to secure our rights, not to create them, not to fulfill them, to secure them. In the exercise of our rights, we find the liberty to live and share the knowledge of the true and living God, allowing others to accept or reject it of their own free will. That free will, that choice to follow or reject him is the very purpose of this life. If we fight for what's right, if we follow him, if we exercise faith in him, if we trust him, he will be for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? It's time to awaken and take up the mantle of terrible resolve. That is the spirit of a free people, kind, gentle, and generous in times of peace, unflinching, untiring, and unstoppable with faith and terrible resolve 
in times of crisis. All right, I'm going to call it there. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Parlor. Welcome to the millions of you who joined Parlor this week. I'm at Real Into the Fray on both platforms. And a big thank you to everyone who shared the podcast. Till next week, be informed, stay safe, don't do anything stupid. Thank you.